and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid then, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, obviously, when we come to a section like this, the interpretive task isn't sort of a simple one-to-one correlation where everything that God speaks to Jeremiah Everything God does for and through Jeremiah, well, that's exactly what he would say to us and exactly what he will do for and through us. I don't think the steps we take are quite that simple because God was calling Jeremiah for a specific purpose in a particular time and situation with a specific message. This is an episode that is saturated and it is surrounded by real life historical events. And it's a situation that we aren't necessarily facing at this point in time, at least not in the exact same way. Jeremiah was set aside. He was consecrated by Yahweh in a unique way, called in a way that God-fearers and other members of the household of Israel at the time simply were not called. So this section we have just read is autobiographical, where Jeremiah is sharing his experience, sharing from his perspective his call from Yahweh to speak to Judah about her sin and the consequences for that sin. And then he goes on to explain exactly why he's not the guy for this task. And I don't think he's just making excuses because he's lazy and just doesn't want to go, but he has some legitimate concerns. He says, look, I'm far too young for the task that lies ahead. I'm not prepared for this. This These are all of the reasons that this will not work, at least not if I am the agent in this plan. And God speaks to him and says, "No, no, Jeremiah, hold on. Don't be afraid. I am with you. I am the one who is speaking through you. you. You don't have to achieve the results. All you have to do is simply be faithful with the message I have given you. And your responsibility ends there. It is not your responsibility to convince Judah of her sin. You simply make these declarations. And although this was a different time, a unique occasion, I do think there are some points of connection that we can draw for our current situation because we too have been called. Not in exactly the same way or for the same purpose that Jeremiah was called, but just as Jeremiah had a responsibility to make prophetic declarations, we too have been called to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. This is something we accept when we begin following Jesus. Some of the last words Jesus speaks to his followers in John chapter 20 after his resurrection, just before the ascension, he said, just as the Father has sent me, I am sending 
you. If you follow me, you are joining in my mission, the mission I was sent by the Father for. You join that mission. Here's another point of contact, I think. Not only might we identify with Jeremiah in his being sent, but I think it's also possible that we may, may identify with Jeremiah's trepidation when it comes to accepting our mission and then enacting it in our unique situation. And perhaps for similar reasons. That trepidation you may feel when it comes to accepting the mission of Christ, it might originate in uncertainty. Well, I, I don't have any certainty about the faith I'm a part of, so I, I can't participate in this mission until I have all of these propositional truths that I am certain about. Or maybe it is a fear that it will be met with scorn or resistance, similar to Jeremiah's fear. Perhaps it comes from beginning to work through some of the church's baggage, like we started with this morning. I think that can produce some legitimate hesitancies. I can't possibly engage in mission in any literal sense where I am sharing my faith with Jesus Christ because I want to stay as far away from that as possible. I don't want to be seen as coercive or overbearing. I don't want to push my faith on others. I have seen far too much manipulation used by the church. I've seen too many fear tactics used by the church to, as it appears, further selfish motives. And I don't want to come even close to that. And I get that completely. If that is the source of your hesitancy, I get it. And to be quite honest with you, I have similar trepidation and similar hesitancies. But one thing I have had to sort of work through, and I'm still trying to work through it, is the fact that it is possible to engage in mission. It is possible to accept my responsibility to participate in this work of restoration, to share my faith in a way or assuming a posture that keeps me humble and keeps me focused on the appropriate things. And I think the linchpin of pursuing mission but also accepting my responsibility to do it in an appropriate way, I think it all hinges on this idea of posture, how we approach the mission that we are going to be engaged in. So to consider posture, I want to turn our attention to today's reading from the epistles. It actually comes from probably one of the best-known passages in our scriptures from 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you probably are very familiar with this text, although it may come as a surprise that this was not originally written as a liturgical element for weddings, although that is typically where we hear it now, right? And I think that move is intentional to some degree because it's a lot safer to read this passage when you're talking about the, the husband-wife relationship. But when you begin to extend it and begin to see that Paul intends for this type of love to define the entire community, that's a lot more dangerous. That's a lot more difficult to accept. So we want to sort of desanitize this text and bring it into our situation a little bit. Because this is much more central to who we are as followers of Jesus as the church. Now, we have dealt with some of the material that precedes this section in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 from chapter 12, where Paul uses that imagery of the body. This is the idea that we have been talking about over the past couple of weeks. He uses that image of the body to communicate truths about the body of Christ. 
The fact that we are all diverse, we are unique and different, but because we are a part of the same body, we work together, we are inseparable, we are functioning for the same goal, the good of the, the whole. Now, we could talk about all of our unique roles, and we could spend time talking about our spiritual gifts and our unique talents within the body or our unique callings and our various approaches to mission, and I think those are all good conversations to have, but more foundational in that conversation is our posture in everything we do, which I think Paul gets at in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, the context of this is, of course, within the body of Christ, in the church. This is how we love one another. But I think the love that he argues for here, he intends for that to define everything the church does, which I think includes our mission in the world. So let's begin reading it in verse 1. He says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So our posture, our posture and everything that takes place in the community, including our interaction with culture at large, our posture in mission determines our success. Analytics on a piece of paper, that is not indicative of the success of our mission. Results don't necessarily determine success in mission because if, as Paul argues here, we achieve those results through unsavory means, or if we achieve those results with a lot of casualties along the way, the results mean nothing. If we achieve it without love, it's not success. 1 Corinthians 13, I think, radically redefines what success in mission, what success in community looks like. Let's continue reading verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is difficult to hear. I don't know about you. For, for me, it's difficult to hear. If we want to engage in, really, if we want to engage in anything as the body of Christ, but since our conversation this morning is about mission, if we want to engage in mission in a way that limits collateral damage, this is it. And this type of love is not a sentimental, easy, or ethereal love that is so popular today where the, the statement is, well, just love, man. Just love. Well, what does that even mean? Well, it means nothing if you don't sort of begin to put some flesh on it. And what Paul is arguing for here is very specific. It is tangible. This is how you love. And it goes against the grain of our nature, it, at least for me, as I read through it even again this morning. It goes against the grain of my nature. I think 
For most of us, we probably fail to live out this type of Christ-like love at all times. But this is what we strive for. This is the posture we are seeking in anything we do as the church. Let's continue. Verse 8, love never ends. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So think back to Jeremiah's words. As he is being called for this specific mission by Yahweh, I am too young. I cannot do this. I'm not fit for this task. I am but a boy. Paul, throughout 1 Corinthians 13, says all of those markers of adulthood, but whether we think about intellect or enlightenment or success that we are able to achieve or some of the spiritual gifts that we can grow in, all of that is partial at best, if not done in love, because this is the more excellent way. The appropriate posture for anything we do as individuals and as the church is love, a difficult love, a tangible, very specific sort of love. Verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So for our conversation today, what I want to get at is the idea that posture in mission, posture in anything, but for our conversation, posture in mission is inseparable from the mission itself. You cannot think about mission with results and goals and not think about posture and mission. They are connected. Posture and mission is inseparable from the mission itself. How does Jesus put this? As Jesus connects mission to this idea of posture, he says, they will know that you are my disciples. How? By your love, by the posture you take. If you want to be successful in participating in my mission, you first and foremost love. Mission isn't about strategy. I'm not a missiologist, but I don't think it's first and foremost about strategy. Mission is not about coercion. It isn't even about influence. First and foremost, mission is about living as a faithful follower of Jesus Living in a way that is patient and loving in a hurried and hateful world. That is where mission begins. And allowing that posture to be then open up paths to conversation. The sort of theme for this entire series is hospitality. And this is where a hospitable mission begins. And I think one way the church has gone wrong in this regard in the past, and one way that we need to be aware of so that we can avoid going down this path in the future, is that a lot of times we assume the church is the hope of the world. And if the church is the hope of the world, then we can justify any means if the end is good, 
because our responsibility is to build this machine. But the church is not the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. We, we are not responsible for building this machine. We are simply responsible for proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ is king and allowing Christ to do his work in the world. It is not our mission. It is Christ's mission. We are simply joining in and participating with him. And we trust that our faithful proclamation that Jesus is Lord will be an avenue through which our neighbors and ultimately all nations will be brought into the family of God. Amen. So when it comes to the mission that we are participating in as a church, it is individual. It does involve what we do on our own in our small communities on a daily basis, in our circles of relationships. It involves what we do in the places we work, in the places we go for recreation. But there is also undeniably a communal component to mission. And so as we're thinking about our purpose as a small faith community, one of the reasons that we exist is that we might pool some of our resources in a way that helps extend our missional reach beyond what any of us can do individually. And so we do this in terms of service, in terms of serving our community here in Springfield, using some of our resources of time and energy and talents to demonstrate the love of Christ in whatever ways we can. Perhaps you have participated with us in some of this in the past, maybe in service at Weller Elementary School or in our ongoing involvement with Safe to Sleep, the overnight women's shelter here in Springfield. And we want to continue to explore those opportunities to develop those relationships and find ways that we can pool our resources of time and energy in those ways in Springfield. We, we also, though, participate in mission locally and globally by pooling some of our financial resources to help missionaries and other organizations who are doing great works in ways and in places that we are simply unable to because of geography or financial limitations. So when we talk about mission, our mission as a church, our hope is that our minds go in both directions. What is my responsibility to engage missionally with the people I am connected to here, where I live, and then how in the world can I participate in God's work of restoration in the world beyond Springfield? If you're interested in more research in terms of how, as a congregation, we go about this, there's a missions tab on our website where you can find a brief overview of our approach to mission in the corporate sense, whether that is a relief or humanitarian organization like Preemptive Love or Charity Water or Convoy of Hope, organizations that we are partnering with financially on an annual basis or Maybe you would think more in terms of the, the traditional missionary approach of church planting and working towards justice and mercy overseas with missionaries we have partnered with like the Carters in Japan or the Sebastians in, in Greece. And then another element for our community is that we are actually blessed to have a lot of folks involved in missions in our congregation. In fact, just as a visual reference, if you are involved in missions work, but you're a part of our congregation, raise your hand. Look around and, and see all of, that, that's quite a few folks that are involved in missions that are a part of our congregation. And we also want to 
do whatever we can to help support them in any small ways that we are able to. But in all of this, our hope, our prayer is that we would recognize that we are sent by Christ, that when we come to Christ, we are brought not only into his family, but we are also called into participation in his mission. Just as he was sent by the Father, we are sent by Christ to proclaim his lordship where we live, work, and play. But we also have a responsibility to join that work of redemption around the globe. So our mission includes both local, more of the hands-on approach, and then the global, maybe some of those somewhat removed relationships and partnerships. You know, Leslie Newbigin, who's a, a famous British theologian and missiologist, once said this. He said, as an unmissionary church and an unchurchly mission are both, from the standpoint of the gospel, absurdities. The church, so we could think our small local congregation... But also the global church cannot be understood apart from mission. It is an absurdity to think of the church and not think of mission. And likewise, it's an absurdity to think of mission without thinking of the local church. These two work in tandem. They are inseparable. Furthermore, to sort of begin to wrap this conversation up, and Kevin, if you all want to come forward, we want to not only commit to participating in mission, by sharing the gospel of the Lordship of Christ with those we know and also by helping to support missionaries and organizations around the globe. But we want to commit to do that and participate in a way that is consistent with the life, ministry, and teachings of Jesus. We want to assume a posture that limits some of those casualties along the way, that limits collateral damage, assuming a posture of love, understanding that we are serving Christ's mission, not the other way around. He's not serving our mission to build this machine. We are serving Christ's mission. We are not the hope of the world. Our church, any church around the globe, is not the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. We simply proclaim that Jesus Christ is king. We are faithful in that proclamation and trust that Christ will restore our world. Amen. Would you stand this morning? We're going to say a prayer together, and then we're going to sing a song in response before we eat a meal together. I think this prayer will be on the screen behind me, and when it is, if you want to join me in this prayer. If you participate in our weekly prayer service, this prayer is going to be very familiar to you. This is part of our ethos as a congregation, but would you join me? Oh God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth, and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your Spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's respond by singing together this morning.